So the World Economic Forum is holding their annual conference in Davos, Switzerland. They, they just completed this several days ago. And this can be somewhat of a difficult topic to talk about, even for people on our own side, because if you talk about Davos as it relates to Klaus Schwab, who is the founder of the World Economic Forum, that's the host of, of, of this event, of course. If you talk about their Great Reset, which they are endeavoring to spread around the world, then you're immediately called a conspiracy theorist, right? You're told, oh, that person's wearing a tinfoil hat. That person's crazy. And this, this is not just something that the left accuses us of. If you talk about the Great Reset, even people on our own side, even Republicans try to distance themselves, say, oh, you know, that's, that's, that's just a little too crazy. I don't, I don't want the left to think I'm a weirdo. And so a lot of people on the right end up not talking about Davos and the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab and the Great Reset because they're, because they're worried about ridicule. And Congressman Dan Crenshaw is actually a perfect example of this. He was asked about the Great Reset and um, his answer was pretty disappointing. Yeah. Uh, where do you see the, the Great Reset right now? And where is it, it going over the next four, four to well, six years? I don't know if I danced around it. I just don't know anything about I mean, it. There, there are it, a lot of subjects that touch the Great Reset, or at least the philosophy of the Great Reset. Yeah, I, I just don't know much about it. Okay. Like, and I don't, I don't care either. I, it, you know, it, I, I think we're obsessing over it on the right a little bit. And look, I, I have been to the website and I saw, okay, this is, okay, this is why people are saying that because I did look into that. Okay. okay, they say something about a great reset. I don't look into it any more than that. Look, it's, it's a bunch of people. It, it's, it's an organization that has no real power. I mean, yeah, they're, they're, look, there's always going to be people that, that maybe, I, I think what they mean by great reset is the same thing the Democrats are always saying about about you know what kind of infrastructure they want to invest in, redistribution of wealth, that kind of thing, more open immigration. I mean, it, it's it's what you think it is, I believe. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think when you call it the Great Reset, it sort of it sort of it, it sort of indicates that there's like a secret, you know, power cabal yeah. under it all. Yeah. And it's not so secret. It's just the Democrat Party. So, like, again, I, I just want us to like take a step back. Like, it's not the, it's not a conspiracy. It's a, it is a political platform. Sure. But just like just you know, we we sound a little crazy <laughs> when we start talking about like some sort of like secret secret cabal. Um, yeah. Just just fight the Democrats. It's the same thing. Okay, this is exactly what what I mean. I find this video of Congressman Crenshaw frustrating for a couple of reasons. This is what I mean when I say if you talk about the World Economic Forum or its founder, Klaus Schwab, or Davos, their their annual gala, uh, their annual conference, where where all the, all these all these power players around the world fly in on their private jets to lecture us, the sorry people, about climate change. If you talk about the Great Reset, which is their political idea of how to abolish capitalism in the free market in countries around the world and instead impose a sort of Chinese communist socialism communism hybrid um, where the, the government doesn't necessarily own the means of production and distribution, but it controls the means of production and distribution through the banking system. This is all, by the way, written out by Klaus Schwab, written out as the Great Reset in their own words. I find this video frustrating because Congressman Crenshaw is doing a disservice to what or to our to our opposition, to our political opposition. And this is a very this is a very common thing among establishment figures on the right where they don't recognize or they don't acknowledge the fight that we're fighting. They 
buy into the premise that though that our political opponents are well-intentioned, perhaps good people who are simply misguided in the application of their political policies, that maybe we all still share values, but they're, the, the left's political policies are just are just unwise. They're just dumb. They just, they don't work in practicality. But at the end of the day, we still want the same thing. This, this is naive. This is so completely naive. And if, if we don't understand our enemy, this is an age old principle. If we don't understand our enemy, we certainly will not be able to defeat them. And Congressman Crenshaw is especially disappointing in, in vocalizing in, in vocalizing his views on the Great Reset and those of us who think it's important to talk about the Great, the great Reset, because we can see in Washington, D.C. right now what happens when the swamp has overtaken. We, we can see, look, look at the Michael Sussman um, the Michael Sussman verdict, what happened? A jury acquitted him. The allegation was that he lied to the FBI when he brought allegations of Trump or of Trump-Russia collusion, the Alpha Bank allegations. When he brought that to the FBI, the FBI asked him, well, are you working for any client? You're a lawyer. And Sussman answered, no, no, I'm not working for any client, just myself. And I'm, I'm just a concerned citizen, he said. And the truth of the matter was he was working for Hillary Clinton's campaign. This should have been just a black and white case, just very, very cut and dry. But because it was in Washington, D.C., Washington, D.C., what, 4% of voters in Washington, D.C. voted for Trump, this jury on the Sussman trial was packed with radical leftists, people who have donated to AOC, people who strongly disliked Trump, people who donated to other Democrats in 2016, a, a juror who had a kid on the same sports team as Sussman's kid, just a very biased, very unfair jury, very leftist jury, the entire jury pool. I mean, it had to be a leftist jury because the jury pool was leftist in Washington, D.C. And we see the hold that the swamp has on our country. And we see Republican elected officials not understanding the extent of this, not understanding the severity of this, not, not fighting the fight against the swamp because they don't acknowledge what we're fighting. And, and I think I speak for a lot of us here when I say I'm tired of it. I'm tired of establishment Republicans. I'm tired of squishes. I'm tired of spineless politicians who don't actually want to fight the hard fights because they want validation. They want to be popular. They want the other side to respect them and, and treat them kindly, even if they have differences in opinion. And that's simply, that's simply not realistic. So it's doubly disappointing to hear this from Congressman Crenshaw because He's a new generation of politicians. And I think when he came into office, a lot of people said, oh, listen, he, he's a fighter, quite literally. And he, he's young. He's savvy on social media, has a good personality. He, he seems really solid in his, in his principles. This guy is going to come and he's going to help root out these, these decades-long politicians, the politicians who've been elected over and over and over, who are part of Was the Washington swamp, or at least are willing to turn a blind eye to the Washington swamp. And so for me, listening to this, it's, it's extremely discouraging and disappointing to hear this new generation of Republican dismissing the Great Reset, dismissing, um, dismissing, I don't care. I don't care, he says. This organization has no real power. He says, it, you know, it, it's not a conspiracy. It's just a political platform. We sound a little bit crazy. No, no. If you listen to the words of these people themselves. And when I say these people, I'm specifically talking about Davos, the conference. It was streamed online. You can listen to it yourself. I listened to it in order to hear what these individuals want. I, I have no reason not to believe them, not to take them at their word. And so that's what I want to do today. I want us to listen to the words, listen to these people, listen to what happened at Davos, listen 
to the World Economic Forum and those that they highlighted at their conference and decide for ourselves, do these people have power? Do Are they powerful? Are they influential? Are, are they global? Are they coordinated? Are they a threat? Is this a conspiracy theory? And should conservatives be talking about it? So let's dig in. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. This episode of The Liz Wheeler Show is sponsored by Matt Walsh's new film, The Daily Wire's new documentary called What is a Woman? I've been really excited for this film since the day that Matt announced it, and it does not disappoint. Um, this this film is based on the idea that the, that the left is waging a war. This, this war is being waged on reality in our culture right now. The left is obviously behind it. They're leading this charge. Radical gender ideology has seeped into our kids' classrooms. We see groomer teachers on TikTok all the time. It's awful. It's awful. It has as its direct object the erasure of women, of biological women. So Matt Walsh of The Daily Wire went on this, this world tour. He went all around the globe and he asked people what you would think is a simple question. He said, what is a woman? And we get to see what the answer was. You will be so surprised and shocked at how few people can answer that simple question and how many people have this warped, twisted idea of what a woman actually is. There are also leftists in this documentary who admit their ulterior motive. They admit their true political agenda with this transgender ideology. What is a Woman is out today. You can watch it at whatisawoman.com. It is for Daily Wire subscribers and members only. Go to whatisawoman.com, whatisawoman.com. You will not be disappointed. Okay, so let's listen to the World Economic Forum and their conference at Davos. And the, let's start with the founder. Let's listen to their words for themselves. And then at the end, we'll draw a conclusion about whether they're powerful, whether they're influential, whether they're global, whether they're a threat, and whether we should care about them. Because Dan Crenshaw says that he doesn't care about them, whether we should care about them. Let's start with Klaus Schwab. Klaus Schwab is 84 years old. Um, he is the founder of the World Economic Forum. And this was his opening, this was his opening speech at the onset of this conference. Let's also be clear, the future is not just happening. The future is built by us, by a powerful community as you here in this room. We have the means to improve the states of the world, but two conditions are necessary. The first one is that we act all as stakeholders of larger communities, that we serve not our only self-interests, but we serve the community. That's what we call stakeholder responsibility. And second, that we collaborate. And this is the reason why you find many opportunities here during the meeting to engage into very action and impact-oriented initiatives to make progress related to specific issues on the global agenda. Okay, so this is the founder of the World Economic Forum. These are his own words. He tells us what his agenda is. We'll analyze in a little bit whether he has the influence to bring this agenda to reality, but he's telling us the future is not just going to happen arbitrarily. He said, we are the ones who are creating the future. It's built by us. And who is us? He's referring to the powerful people in this room, in the room who were listening to him. These are politicians from countries all around the world. These are the CEOs of the most powerful, powerful global 
corporations in the entire world. And he, he's, he's saying exactly what his agenda is, that he wants to move the, move the nation, not, not the nation, the nations around the globe, move the world away from shareholder capitalism to stakeholder capitalism. Shareholder capitalism is what we understand as the free market, where businesses make decisions in the best financial interest of their shareholders. And he wants to do away with that. He wants to bring in what he calls stakeholder capitalism. It's not really capitalism. It's more like a Chinese-style capitalism where where the government is is imposing their political agenda as part of the decision-making process of these businesses. So you're not just thinking, oh, what makes sense for my customers, which is make what makes sense for my bottom line, which is how I pay my bills and how I profit. He wants to add a political a political agenda to everybody's business decision. That's why he calls it stakeholders, because it's not just the shareholders who he wants to take into account. He says, everyone has a stake in solving climate change. Therefore, climate change must be part of the decision-making process of, of every business, especially big businesses. This is his agenda. These are his own words. This is what he wants to do. And he's advocating for the globalization of this. He said, we must collaborate. When he says we must collaborate, he's not just talking about being partners. He's not just talking about discussing it. He's talking about a, a global standard that everyone must follow if they want to be players in this, in this new world economy. That's what he means by we collaborate. And he says, he admits that his goal is to make progress on specific issues on the global agenda. So no longer should the United States think about what the United, what's best for the United States or what, in, what no longer should Germans think about what's in the best interest of, of Germans, of Germany. No longer should Sweden think about what's in their best interest or Australia. But the global agenda, as defined by who? As defined by them as defined by the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab. These are, these are their, own, their own words. And their agenda as relates to climate change is really dangerous to us. It's really, it's really harmful to us. I mean, here in the United States, we can see how high the gas prices are. Around the world, we can see energy shortages related to, to the war on fossil fuels that has been pushed by the World Economic Forum, by these folks. And this is, this is harming people harming people's pocketbooks. This is, this is costing individuals and families and businesses and, and countries a lot of money. And, and the response from the folks at the World Economic Forum, this is the CEO of DNBASA. Her name is Kirsten Brothen. She's, she's the CEO of Norway's largest financial services group. She excuses the inflation that we're seeing and even the food shortages. Um, she says, it's worth it. We need to accept that there will be some pain in the process. Uh, the pace that we need will, uh, will open up for missteps. Mm. Uh, it will open up for uh, shortages on energy. It will create inflationary pressures. And maybe we need to start talking about that, that that pain is actually worth it. Because if we don't, uh, there's no business case, okay. there's no economy, there's, there's no welfare. But, but so far, I think we are, have been a little bit careful actually talking about the pain in the short term that is likely to come from, from, the, from this the very important yeah. change. Yeah. This is one of the videos that I wish would go, would go entirely viral. I wish everybody could see this video because who is the pain worth it? I mean, she's making this decision on behalf of people who are actually going to be suffering from inflation and from shortages. She's not going to be. She's insulated from it because she's a, a corporate CEO, because she's one of the ruling class. She's one of the elitists. She's, she's, she's removed from this suffering. And yet she sits on, on this stage and tells us that the pain and suffering is worth it in, in pursuit of her own environmentalist agenda. And it's, I mean, it's beyond condescending. It's beyond awful, but it, it, 
you have to listen to their own words. I mean, this is not this is not something that we as conservatives are inferring. This is not something that we're making up. It's not it's not an exaggeration that they're saying these words. And my question is, should we not believe them? Should we not take them at their word? Because in a sense, what they're saying is not popular to at least half of the people in our country. Republicans aren't going to like to see that aren't going to like to hear this. A lot of Democrats aren't either. So they would have no political incentive to make comments like this, except that they're talking, they think they're talking to each other and they're being honest for once about their agenda and how they're actually implementing that agenda. These are their own words. They, as it relates to climate change, one of the things that they like to talk about is carbon footprints. They, they don't like to talk about their own carbon footprint. And I have a really funny video about that in, in just a second, but they talk about your carbon footprint and my carbon footprint a lot. In fact, the president of the Alibaba group, his name is J. Michael Evans. He talks about tracking your carbon footprint. We're developing through technology an ability for consumers to measure their own carbon footprint. What does that mean? That's where are they traveling? How are they traveling? What are they eating? What are they consuming on the platform? So individual carbon footprint tracker. Mm. Stay tuned. We don't have it operational yet, but this is something that we're working on. So a couple of things. First of all, Alibaba Group, remember, is a Chinese is a Chinese corporation, an enormous Chinese corporation. Any business in China is, especially one of this size, is connected to the Chinese Communist Party. So this is a Chinese Communist Party entity, just like all big corporations are in China. J. Michael Evans is the president of Alibaba Group, and I think it's quite um, humorous in the not funny way that this World Economic Forum is inviting the president of Alibaba Group and completely ignoring the fact that the founder of Alibaba Group, Jack Ma, was disappeared by the Chinese communists, disappeared because he dared to question the, the corporate practices that the Chinese Communist Party was imposing on businesses like him. He just disappeared for three months, this guy who's a global celebrity. We don't even live in China and we recognize Jack Ma. This, this guy was a global celebrity, the richest man in the world, and the Chinese communists disappeared him like that when he questioned their ideology. They later pretended that he surfaced in Hong Kong, but he didn't. It was a fake. It was reported. It was just a report by the Chinese state-owned and directed media, which is a propaganda arm of the Chinese communists. And the, now these people at the World Economic Forum just invite this new president, just completely ignoring the fact that the communists offed Jack Ma. Un unreal, unreal. So it's a Chinese company that has a crazy history. The Chinese Communist Party just took out the richest man in China because he dared to question them. And now this president of this Alibaba group is talking about developing technology to track where you travel and what mode of operation you use to travel, what you eat on a daily basis and what kind of goods and services you consume. Think about this in the context of China. China already has a social credit score system. They already have this mass surveillance state. And now this Chinese communist entity, Alibaba group, is trying to develop technology that tracks you based on climate change based on based on the World Economic Forum idea that you should reduce your carbon footprint if you want to be a good citizen. This is this is it's it's not only awful, it's their own words. It's their own words. And then we have the CEO of Nokia, Pekka Lundmark, who talks about how technology isn't even going to be something external in less than 10 years. That that your smartphone's going to become obsolete, but that's because that technology is going to be inside you. 
it, it will, first of all, it will definitely happen. I, I, I was talking about 6G earlier, which is around 20, 2030. I would say that by then, definitely the smartphone as we know it today will not anymore be, be the usual kind of the most common interface. Wow. This, this, many of these things will be built directly into our, our, our bodies. Which I, I find this to be incredibly creepy. I find this to be obviously very unethical. It's also the dream come true for controlling elitists like everyone at the World Economic Forum who who treat us like the sorry people who treat they, they really want a a, a, a a strata of two different classes the ruling party where rule who set the rules set the laws that they don't have to follow just we have to follow because we're the masses we're just the, the people with a lowercase p here and they want it inside our body so that we don't have a choice about this and what's what's in their own words again, in their own words. They're the ones who said, this is what we're doing, this is what we're trying to develop, and this is why we're developing it. And then we have this idea that if you have some kind of social credit score system, some way that your behavior is tracked and then weighed against how the government wants you to behave or how of the world government, as the World Economic Forum is acting like, wants you to behave, there has to be some system of enforcement. There has to be some system of accountability. How are they going to coerce you to behave in the way that they want you to, if there's if there's no, I don't even want to say incentives because incentives can have a positive connotation. But if there's no punishment, if there's no if there's no accountability and enforcement, and they present exactly how they would how they would use an individual carbon footprint tracker or this technology built into your body to actually not just track your behavior, but to hold hold yourself or to hold you accountable for the government to hold you accountable. Now. Two things really important to me online are safety and privacy. Maybe it's obvious given what we're talking about. That's why I like Incogni. Thousands of companies are collecting and aggregating and trading your personal data without you knowing anything about it. The good news is you have the right to request data brokers to delete what information they have about you and protect your privacy. The bad news is, is it would take you years to do this manually. The best news is Incogni can do the messy work for you automatically. Incogni helps you protect your privacy and take your personal data off the market by reaching out to data brokers on your behalf, requesting your personal data removal, and then dealing with their objections. Most often, these data brokers hold your name, your email address, your home address even, your phone number, the names of your relatives, your social security number, your employment history, your shopping habits, you need Incogni. I love it, and I know you will too. The first 100 people to use my URL, it's incogni.com slash Liz Wheeler, and also use my promo code Liz Wheeler, get 20% off Incogni. Protect your privacy today. Go to incogni.com slash Liz Wheeler. It's spelled I-N-C-O-G-N-I.com slash Liz Wheeler. Use my code Liz Wheeler to take your personal data off the market. Today's video is sponsored by Incogni. So the way that these these elitists, this, this, these people who view themselves as the ruling class want to hold you accountable if you are not behaving the way that they want you to behave as it relates to your carbon footprint and how, how you are addressing or contributing to climate change is they, they want to convert our monetary system into, into what's called a, a central bank digital currency. So it's cryptocurrency, but instead of being independent of a nation's a nation's currency, they want it to be actually issued by, by, by the government. They want it to be issued by the central bank of different, of different countries. And this obviously defeats, defeats the point of cryptocurrency, right? It, the point of cryptocurrency is so that you don't have to rely on, you know, whether it's the dollar or whatever the currency is of your nation. But the threat 
of the threat of central bank digital currency is what we saw happen in Canada with the trucker convoy, the freedom convoy, is that the government can come in and they can they can freeze your accounts. They can penalize you for behaving in a certain way or for not behaving in a certain way. They can give you money as incentive to do something or take money away from you. They are they are controlling your behavior through by controlling the currency which you need to live your life. And um, the news director of the International Monetary Fund, Kristalina Georgieva, talked about how they're trying to make this, the central bank digital currency, not just a thing, but a global thing. We are advocating to think about this world of digital money as a global public good. And in a recent discussion in Zurich, where we, we both were, what we advocated for is to have a public platform. So when protocols are, are agreed, it, this public platform can connect different CBDCs. It can be, there can be interoperability. The same way you would transfer euros from one country sure. to another, you do it using CBDCs. Now, CBDC is obviously the acronym for central bank digital currency, but why would she be advocating for this global standard or this, she calls it a public platform to connect different central bank digital currencies? The reason for that is the, is the same reason that a, that a government or a country would issue the central bank digital currency so that they could be in charge of its use. They could regulate your use of it. And by regulating your use of it, they can regulate you. Well, this takes it one step further. Instead of just being controlled by your own government, then anybody who was using digital currency, central bank issued digital currency would not only be controlled by their government, but by these extra governmental organizations like the World Economic Forum, who, who wants to have influence over how you behave. And then when you behave a certain way or don't behave a certain way, they want some kind of punishment or incentive or accountability or enforcement based on their own political agenda. These are their words. They are, they are mapping out exactly what their agenda is and how they intend to integrate it into our society. It's, it's very interesting, actually, to watch what's happening because we always hear, we always hear in politics of these revolutions. And when we hear, uh, when we hear the name revolution, we think of the American Revolution, we think of the French Revolution, we think, we think of war, we think of this, the, the revolution that never happened that Karl Marx advocated for, where the workers rise up against the ruling class. And it's always a big thing. It's always, it's usually violent, but it's always this like big event with capital letters. But what the World Economic Forum is doing with their agenda, what Klaus Schwab and all of these all of these global elites that he invited to Davos for this conference, what they're advocating for is a much quieter, a much less flashy, a much sneakier strategy because they're not advocating for anybody to rise up. They're not advocating for violence. They're not advocating for anything showy. They are simply inserting at certain places in society different mechanisms that will serve as triggers to turn our country or other countries into the version of government and economy that they want, that will turn our shareholder capitalism into stakeholder capitalism, that will, that will remove the power of the people here in this country and give it to not only our government officials, but these 
these global elites that gather every year at, at Davos for the World Economic Forum. And these little mechanisms that they, that they slide into our society are incredibly important and incredibly well thought out because they do inevitably, they only have one result. When these mechanisms are inserted into our society, it's not an option of, oh, if this, if this happens, I wonder what the consequence will be. There's one consequence, and the consequence is pointing our society and our legal system and the way that we live towards this, this climate change agenda where we are forced to behave a certain way or else face punishment from these people. Um, the e-safety commissioner of Australia gave a good example of this. Her name is Julie Inman Grant. At the World Economic Forum, she talked about how the age of freedom of speech needs to come to an end. We are finding ourselves in a place um, where we're, we have increasing polarization everywhere. And everything feels binary when it doesn't need to be. So I think we're going to have to think about a recalibration of a whole range of human rights that are playing out online, you know, from freedom of speech to the freedom to, you know, to be free from on online violence or the uh, right of data protection to the right to child dignity. A recalibration of human rights, she said, as if human rights can ever change. They can't. That, that's the universal thing about human rights. That's why our, our Declaration of Independence and our Constitution stand the test of time because they codified human rights, basic human rights, unalienable rights endowed by our creator, not, not given to us as privileges by our government, but endowed by our creator. And they, they codified that into law and said government's only role is to protect those rights and government's not allowed to violate those rights. Well, now, now the Australian e-safety commissioner at the World Economic Forum is saying it's time for a recalibration of, of these first principles, such as the freedom of speech. Why? So that we can't dissent, so that we can't speak the truth, so that we can't acknowledge reality, so that we can't expose corruption, so that we can't stop this agenda from happening when we see these triggers placed in our society. One of the triggers in our society has actually already taken hold, and that's ESG, these environmental, social, and governmental metrics that are, are being used to give businesses rankings. And they rank businesses based on how environmentally or socially or governmentally friendly they are. But, but when they say environmentally or socially or governmentally friendly, it's by the standards of the left, meaning environmentally, are you, are you adhering to climate change standards? Are you, what is your carbon footprint? And are you behaving in a way that the left approves of? Socially the same way. Are you, are you socially behaving in a woke manner? Are you socially behaving as the left would have a, a, a stakeholder a stakeholder uh, capitalist business behave, meaning are you not just acting in a way that benefits your profit and your shareholders? And then the same with governmentally, are you behaving in a way supporting government policies that the left approves of? So this, this ranking has already seeped into our society here in the United States. Businesses are ranked on this. Elon Musk has recently been condemning this, calling this out, because Tesla, a country that makes electronic vehicles, what could be more, you would think, environmentally friendly, at least in the eyes of the left? I know that there are questions about the batteries and the mining for, you know, cobalt and other metals that are used in the batteries and how this, this, is, this mining takes place in Africa. And it's terrible mining, terrible for the land, terrible for the environment, and uses child slave labor. I understand all that. But by the standards of the left, a company that, that participates in the, in the production of electronic vehicles should be should rank pretty high on their ESG scale. Well, Tesla doesn't, perhaps because Elon Musk said he was going to vote Republican in the midterms. He's called this out, but the Unilever CEO, his name is Alan Jope, he criticized Elon Musk for, for criticizing ESG 
But what he said about the di- the number of different metrics, the number, the, there are 14 different ESG metrics. And his comment about whether there should be 14 is, well, it, it, it's their own words. It shows us what they think in their own words. You know, we're talking about standards, metrics, indices. Uh, I want to address Elon Musk's tweet. And Brian, I'm going to get you to comment on that. Uh, you know, Musk tweeting that ExxonMobil finds itself at the top of an ESG ranking and Tesla doesn't belong there. Uh, what's wrong with the world? Thank you. Um, you know, the, there are about 15 different credible ranking systems of companies right now. And, of course, we've looked at how Unilever stacks up on, uh, on all of them. And on average, we do quite well, but there are a couple where we don't do very well at all. Um, and this is exactly the point of this conversation. You shouldn't be able to pick and choose the index that you, uh, that you demonstrate your credentials against. And so um, I think Elon can relax because there's plenty of other uh, rating systems out there where I'm sure Tesla will come out absolutely top of the pack. Um, and the real point is... We shouldn't pick and choose rating systems. There should be a common standard uh, that we can all use as uh, asset owners, asset managers and companies. And that's exactly the work that uh, Emmanuel is leading. And, and I think it's an important piece of work. You heard the man. He said the real point is there shouldn't be multiple metrics that you can choose from to see how your company stacks up. There should be a common standard. So what is a common standard? That would be not just not just nation by nation. That would be a global standard. Who sets that that global standard? Well it would be these people at the World Economic Forum. This this is this is them in their own in their own words. We don't have to make any inferences. We we don't have to we don't have to explain. They explain themselves exactly what their agenda is and how they are going to how they are going to make this happen and how they already are. This is one this is one of those mechanisms, this triggers that's already been inserted into our society. Uh, really funny video. This might be the funniest one that I found all day. So there was a there was a panel at the World Economic Forum where one of the presenters actually asked the audience, a room full of people, how many people are driving an electric vehicle today? She was trying to make uh, she was trying to make a point. So I'm going to throw this immediately out to the audience and say, how many of you are driving an electric vehicle at the moment? One, two, three, four. So I would say that probably constitutes less than 5% of the persons uh, sitting here in this room. One, two, three, four. That constitutes less than 5% of the people in this room. That is so hilarious because these are the people that tell us, oh, you are, you have this massive carbon footprint. You should take, you should take public transportation. You should drive an electric vehicle. And they don't even do it themselves. They're, they're enormous hypocrites, which, which shows additionally, aside from what they tell us about their agenda and what they tell us in their own words, how they're going to implement this agenda. They, show, they demonstrate through their behavior that they don't actually believe the, the, the crisis that they're peddling. They don't believe that the world is going to end based on climate change. If they did, they obviously wouldn't be flying to Davos in their private jets and they would be doing what they advocate that everyone else do. They would be driving electric vehicles, but, um, they're enormous hypocrites. They are, they are using climate change simply as a tool to exact control over the rest of us. The head of climate, that's an actual title, Imagine that being her job title, the head of climate. What is she, God? Can she control the weather? The head of climate at the World Economic Forum was um, confronted by a journalist outside. The journalist asked her about the carbon footprint of, of Davos and the fact that so many people fly in on private jets. I'm just wondering what the, the climate, what the global emissions are for this conference. Like, does the WEF tell people to not take private jets here? 
I'm sorry, guys. I'm on the she doesn't have time to answer that, even though that's literally the point of the conference, or at least that's what they tell us the point of the conference is. She can't be bothered to make to make an answer to a journalist. Huge hypocrites. They don't have an answer. They don't, they they want two different playing fields. They want rules that they set for us, and they don't want to have to follow those rules. They don't, they don't, they don't even see themselves as hypocrites because they don't a hypocrite is someone who thinks the rule applies to them, but then doesn't follow it. But they don't even believe that. They think the rules don't apply to them. So let's zoom out for a second. Let's zoom out on this philosophy, on on this ideology that they are portraying. What what is this ideology and where does it where does it come from? And we can look to the founder of the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, and some of his key advisors to answer this question. But first, let's talk about BEAM. Did you know that poor sleep can cause weight gain, mood issues, poor mental health, and lower productivity? And that if you sleep less than six to seven hours per night, it can be linked to reduced white blood cell count. Now, white blood cells protect our body against illness and disease. They fight viruses, bacteria, and more. Not many people realize this, but having a consistent nighttime routine is so important to your body's health. Well, a better tomorrow starts tonight. Introducing Beam Dream. Beam is the world's most innovative functional wellness brand with unique products for everything from sleep to recovery. And today you get a special discount available for Beam's sleep product. It's called Dream Powder. It's their best-selling healthy hot cocoa. It contains natural sleep-promoting premium ingredients. It's triple lab tested, no THC, and you wake up refreshed. 98% of people surveyed fall asleep faster when taking Beam Dream, and 99% of people experience better sleep quality. All you do, just mix Beam Dream into hot water or milk, stir, and enjoy 30 minutes before bedtime. That's it. If you don't love it, get your money back guaranteed. For a limited time, get $20 off when you go to beamorganics.com slash Liz and use my code Liz, L-I-Z at checkout. That's B-E-A-M organics.com slash Liz and use promo code Liz at checkout for $20 off. Okay, so one of the primary advisors to Klaus Schwab is a man by the name of Yuval Noah Harari. And he's spoken many times at the World Economic Forum and, and been featured quite prominently. He's known to be very close to Klaus Schwab, at least ideologically, he gives Klaus Schwab uh, counsel and advice. And this is perhaps the most telling encapsulation of the ideology of Yuval Noah Harari when it comes to how he views you and how he views me. The biggest question, in, in, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decades, will be what to do with all these useless people. The problem is more uh, boredom and how, what to do with them and how will they find some sense of meaning in life when they are basically meaningless, worthless. My best guess at present is a combination of drugs and computer games as a solution for more. It's already happening. Uh, in, 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 under different titles, different headings, you see more and more people spending more and more time or uh, uh, solving their inner problems with uh, uh, drugs and computer games, both legal drugs and illegal drugs. You look at Japan today, and Japan is maybe 20 years ahead of the world in, in everything, and you see all these new social phenomenon of, of people having relationships with virtual... Uh, virtual spouses and you have people who never leave the house and, and just live through computers I think once you're superfluous you don't have power uh, again we're used to the age of the masses of the 19th and 20th century where you all where you, where you saw all these successful uh, massive uprisings revolutions revolts so we, we got we are used to thinking about the masses as powerful 
But this is basically a 19th century and 20th century phenomenon. I don't think that the masses, even if they, they somehow organize themselves, uh, stand much of a chance. We are not in, in, in Russia of 1917 or in, uh, uh, or in 19th century Europe. What we are talking about now is like a second industrial revolution, but the product this time will not be textiles or machines or vehicles or even weapons. The product this time will be humans themselves. We are basically learning to produce bodies and minds. Bodies and minds are going to be, the, I think, the two main products of the next wave of all these uh, uh, changes. That is, 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 is optional. Again, and if you think about it from the viewpoint of the poor, it looks terrible. Imagine ever saying the phrase worthless people, worthless humans. There's no such thing as a worthless human, but this is the ideology of one of the chief advisors to Klaus Schwab. He, he's, not, he's identifying certain people as being worthless themselves and tells them to find meaning through drugs, legal and illegal, and then through a virtual reality through video games. This is so dystopian. This is so, this is so, this is so anti-God. This is the ideology of the chief of one of the chief advisors to Klaus Schwab. He he also goes on to say that he doesn't think that the masses stand much of a chance, meaning he doesn't think the people stand a chance against the ruling party and, and what the ruling party would dictate or would have them do, have them behave, how what ideology the ruling party would have them embrace and live according to. He doesn't think the people have much of a chance because he views, I mean, he says how he views people. He views people as products. He says, we're learning to produce bodies and minds. This is one of the chief advisors to Klaus Schwab. This, if you zoom out on everything that we heard, the, the folks at the World Economic Forum say with their own mouths, this is the ideology that underpins it. It's this fundamentally anti-human ideology. And when I say anti-human, it's not anti-human as it relates to themselves. It's anti-human as it relates to you and as it relates to me. And as that trickles through the, gover the government policy or this extra governmental policy that they want to impose on a global scale that will impact our families and our children and, our and ourselves. This, this same advisor, Yuval Noah Harari, admitted how how the, the the political purpose or the political exploitation that happened um, during during COVID. COVID is critical because this is what convinces people to accept, to legitimize total biometric surveillance. If we want to stop this epidemic, we need not just to monitor people, we need to monitor what's happening under their skin. So this is this is important to see because you can you can we can hear what his ideology is and what his political platform is but in order to analyze that first question that we started the show with are these people powerful are these people influential or is it just a bunch of fringe crazies that actually have no impact on our life we have to look at okay what their ideology is and understand it and then look at the mechanisms they're using to impose this ideology on us and they they tell us both things they tell us what their ideology is and then they show us they demonstrate exactly how they want to control us they want want to control us by by constant biometric surveillance of us so that they know what we're eating and what we're drinking and where we're going and what mode of operation we're using what we're consuming what we're reading what we're saying everything they know everything about us so that they can then impose these enforcement mechanisms if we're not behaving as the proper minions to their ideology as they want it's it's also interesting the same way that 
we ought to and don't properly hold Pete Buttigieg accountable for his father, Joseph Buttigieg's Marxist ideology. Joseph Buttigieg was a was a, was an avowed Marxist, an avowed Marxist who translated Marxist literature from Italian. He trans he translated Antonio Gramsci into English. That's that's basically how the writings of the Italian Marxist came here to the United States because Pete Buttigieg's father translated them. No no journalist in the United States asks Pete Buttigieg, "Do you disavow?" your father's Marxist ideology? Do you think that Marxism is evil? Do you think that it's wrong? Do you embrace Gramsci? Because your father was part of essentially a Gramsci fan club. Do you differ from your father or are you the same? No no journalist in the mainstream media is interested in asking Pete Buttigieg this question, which is bananas to me. It's so insane to me that no one will ask that. Likewise, Klaus Schwab's father, Eugene Schwab, was born in Switzerland, but he voluntarily moved to Nazi Germany during World War II. So from Switzerland to Germany during the rise of, of the Third Reich, during Nazi Germany, and he moved there to be in charge of a factory, to be in charge of a company called Escher Weiss. Escher Weiss was a supplier of turbines and flamethrowers to, to the Nazis in Germany during World War II. So his ideology was evil. His ideology was, well, anti-human, just like the Nazi ideology. And I don't hear any journalists asking Klaus Schwab. I don't hear any of the CEOs of these multinational corporations. I don't hear any of these, these, these government figures, or even from the United States, the, the, you know, John Kerry was there at the World Economic Forum. I don't hear anyone asking Klaus Schwab, do you disavow what your father did? Do you disavow the fact that he voluntarily worked for the Nazis as part of the Nazi war effort? The Nazi war effort supplying them with weapons that killed allied forces? I don't hear anyone asking Klaus Schwab about this ideology that underpinned his father. And we should be asking that. We should be asking that because Klaus Schwab's current ideology, while it's not flashy, it's not a revolution, it's, it's not outright murderous the way the Nazi ideology was, it is very anti-human, it is very controlling, and it does, it does dehumanize certain people to the point that elitists or the ruling class feels that it's appropriate for them to control us in certain ways. No one's asking Klaus Schwab about this, and there's no reason why not. Klaus Schwab should answer for his ideology, should answer about his ideology. And this circles back to the beginning of the show. Are these people powerful? Are they influential? Do they have a global agenda? Should we feel threatened by this? Do they have a hold on our country? And all we have to do to answer this question is to listen to their own words. We just have to tune in to the World Economic Forum in Davos, and we have to listen to what they say, listen to their ideology, listen to their agenda, listen to their strategy, and listen to their tactics for how they are going to impose this ideology on us. And then we can decide for ourselves the answers to all, all of those questions. It is a difficult topic to discuss because if you talk about the Great Reset, you're going to be called a conspiracy theorist. There are going to be leftists who say, oh, look at that, look at that conservative wearing a tinfoil hat. What a, what a nut job. Well, people on our own side of the aisle are going to do that too. Hopefully, though, when people on our side of the aisle who, don't, who want validation from the other side, who want respect from their opposition, see the truth, then they, then they take the truth and they have the courage to fight the real fight. We don't need squishes. We don't need spineless Republicans. We don't need another generation of establishment, establishment GOP in the halls of Congress. What we need are calm, cool, collected, 
fair-minded, well-intentioned, smart, wise fighters who actually have an understanding, a tangible grip on our political opposition and aren't afraid to fight for what's right, aren't afraid to say enough. We can't assume that our opposition are just kind of dumb but have the same values. We have to understand what their agenda is and how they're implementing it. And if you listen to the words at the wor- that's spoken by these folks at the World Economic Forum at, at Davos, when they talk about the Great Reset, when they talk about what they are going to do to us and how and why, the answers to all of these questions are obvious. It is a threat and we do have to put a stop to it. Join us on Locals. We are going to talk about the Department of Health and Human Services has announced a new office. It is the Office of Environmental Justice. And let's talk about that. Join us on Locals, LizWheelerShow.com slash Locals. You can use my promo code ACCESS for one month free on your annual subscription. That is LizWheelerShow.com slash Locals, promo code ACCESS, because we got to talk about the new Office of Environmental Justice. Thank you for watching today. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figuerilla. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Director of marketing, Emily Washler. Production and talent coordinator, Matt Toffler. And senior publicist, Patricia Jackson. This has been a Soundfront production.